2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb dot com slash host. How's things with Wayfind? the record label? Uh, Well, thank you for asking. I'm to be perfectly honest, quiet and 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 slow. Wayfind was a just a way for us to to preserve some of the projects we're working on that sometimes feel like get lost in the, the world of the movie. If the movie has its course in theaters or streaming and then sort of might might disappear in some respect, our scores would sort of disappear with it. So we just wanted to we, we you know, long story short, we grew up not necessarily planning on film composing, but more playing in bands. Uh, with each other my brother and I or with other groups of friends so writing songs and figuring out how to record them ourselves and then figuring out how to release them themselves and I think we're just old enough where we you know definitely we're doing that pre uh, pre pre-streaming stuff and pre even pre-digital media so we would grew up releasing cassette tapes and then releasing CDs and with film music especially in a streaming age we haven't you know we realized once once our career got going with that there were so many scores that just you know once the movie's out the music's kind of done we just wanted it to be available to sort of archive it and so we the first couple years we, we put we put a good bit of effort into it but it was on top of all of our f- current projects of composing admittedly you know the business side of what we do isn't the most exciting and isn't why we got into it. So it's it's harder for us to sort of keep up with that. We we love, you know, working on movies and, and really like working in the studio. So the label has been a thing where it's there when we need it. Um, the last year or two, we've been fortunate where a lot of projects we've worked on have already had a deal in place with a soundtrack label of some sort or some some folks we know that release film scores and soundtracks were interested in helping to put it out and they normally have a much bigger reach than we do um as far as social media and and overall distribution and and stuff so if someone else wants to always help release a score we're we're just excited to work with new people in that part of the industry and and let them as sort of professionals do what they do it's fun to have a an avenue to release it it's exciting for us to like get your masters mixes and masters back and then normally 36 hours we can have them on Spotify. And again, we grew up like, we grew up waiting for cassette tapes to be, to be printed for like three <laughs> months and shipped to you in a box. And now it's, um it, it's awesome to, to get stuff out there quickly. And then we realized that other composers at a similar place in their career, maybe were having the same issue that we were having was, you know, how to like, you know, they didn't have time or, or they didn't know how to get it, on a streaming channel for example or how to release it so we were able to as a very small label we were able to reach out and help a couple other composers release their projects as well uh, we do have plans to just kind of jump back into the, to the label side of things and uh, sort of re-energize it and it, maybe it would need the, the right project the right movie to come along and do that
1: what sort of project would that be?
2: I don't know something, uh, it, something A that we retain the soundtrack rights to that's just sort of a legal tangle sometimes that comes with the work that the work for higher nature of a of a film score we might not even have the the green light to release it. So something that we've retained the rights to, I think something that is a musical approach that we haven't done before or you know that that's sort of new for us a sound um you know a certain movie would call for a sound that, that we're exploring something new I think that would be fun to release and I think some scores play out like a, like a fun album listen better than others. You know, sometimes a film score can be 40 tracks of, of very similar stuff or very ideas. And on its own, you know, it's definitely a very specific type of album listen. But I think other scores can almost function like, you know, like a soundtrack or like an album where there's, where there's really like different different thoughts and ideas for every cue of the of the movie i think those would be fun to release we didn't know this um but we get a lot of requests from screenwriters and maybe directors who write who say they really seek out film scores um to write to as just sort of putting you in a in a a, maybe even putting you in a three-act structure that you could hear in in the evolution of a film score or just putting you in a certain mood that helps helps them as as writers sort of envision, you know, their story. I think that's you know, we get a I don't know, a few hundred streams a month and I think a lot of them are um are screenwriters, which is cool to hear.
1: Does that ever work for you as well? Like when you listen back to one of your scores, will that put you in a very particular headspace?
2: Um it often puts us back in this space of of the movie itself, um and then the time that we the time and place when we were working on the movie. And that can Get blurry, so sometimes the the work can be. If the schedule is sort of intense enough, it's kind of over before you even remember it. And then looking back on it a couple years later, like we often hear music that we we forgot we did, and we we're not sure if it's us or if it's someone else that might sound a little like us or something. It normally puts us back in the movie, you know, the visual images that we see that we're spending so much time with, you know, um, for every for every note of music that you hear on a on a recording, we're we're invested in the the visual picture of it all and the story of it all. Um, so, yeah, listening to older things we've done, I think we're taken back to not even the finished version of a of a movie. Like some, we're working on sometimes a rough version of a of a movie, you know, um, and that's literally what we sort of can can picture again and see.
1: How far on is the sound design in that rough kind of cut that you're working with?
2: We've seen it a range where like very rough and raw and unfinished or untouched, or the sound designer is working at the same time we are in tandem or not in tandem rather, but yes, at the same time, you know, so we don't hear it all come together until the final movie is done. Or maybe if we're able to sit in on the final mix of the movie. Um, so we have to use our imagination that if, if we're not hearing all the sound design and, and, and all of the sound effects and everything that really do enhance that, um, we have to picture it there. We have to remind ourselves that that does so much work. I think, I think a lot of people have the assumption that there's, you know, there's acting and there's dialogue, and then there's some sound effects, and then there's music, and that the music is just like carrying all of this. And it really is the, I would argue that it's the sound design, that level of detail, and that that level of um, sort of syncing that detail with what you're seeing in a way that you don't even notice it. Literally, I think is what puts viewers when it's done right, puts viewers like in that world of the movie. I think our very, very first feature film score that we did, we didn't know what we were doing, but we, you know, we have like dozens of tracks of instruments and then they're sort of boiled down into stems, like maybe 10 different stems of, of music percussion and bass and strings, etc. And we thought it would just be us and then the dialogue. And we were able to sit at the, at the, in the mixing studio at this humongous mixer, um, And all of the channels are just sort of occupied by wind and crickets and the car door opening and the car door closing and every little detail. Um, And that uh, it's very clear when you sit in on a film mix that that's the priority and that music then needs to just sort of fit in around that, you know.
1: It's interesting as I was thinking of, I think it's Green Room. Yeah, Green Room. There's a scene where... Aliyah Shawkat is kind of, you know, fending off the dog with the mic stand and you get this horrible, like, feedback sound, which you then kind of take in the score. Was that in the, the cut when you started working on it? Were you directly taking influence from that or did they develop separately?
2: Uh, that's a great observation. We cooked up this idea. Uh, we don't always have this luxury, but in this case, we have worked with Jeremy, the director, on a, on his previous two movies, and he shared each draft of the screenplay before they even filmed. So we were able to th- have time to think about the score before filming took place, and the word feedback he specifically wrote into the the script as a as a device, uh, maybe not a character, but as a as like very defined moments in the script where the feedback um, is used as a deterrent to scare the dogs. The high pitched squeal, I believe, it was, of the microphone scares the dogs away. He wrote it in as sort of this ominous. Foreboding, you know, device that um, it's so uncomfortable to hear every time you hear feedback. You just nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, and everyone just you want it to stop as soon as it starts, and people scramble to turn off the microphone, etc. So we saw this word keep popping up, and it and it it provided just like all of the other details that Jeremy includes in his scripts. It provides just another layer of tension and and, um, discomfort. So we we pulled that word out and thought about it for a little while. And then we went and recorded. I think we spent two days just recording feedback, just anything in the studio we could get to feedback. So we had microphones inside of a trombone turned up in a way that and and they're confined in a way that just start to squeal. You know, big speakers, of course, guitar speakers, that, that sort of punk rock sound you get when you turn a guitar amp guitar amp up too much you get that distortion followed by some sort of feedback Um, so we had hours and hours of these squeaks and squeals and then we went through and, and and chopped up the audio and built sort of I guess we could call them synthesizers but you know playable playable instruments that were that were triggering different samples of feedback so we could play something musical but but rather than a piano or a or a string it was it was these pitched um, and manipulated feedback sound so we had a group of instruments of these sort of really rough and raw uh, and uncomfortably sounding instruments ready to go by the time we started and we made a point not to you know every time you you every time the microphone feed feeds back in the movie you know we didn't feel the need to match that or to supplement that at all it was doing its job in in the picture um, but other big themes in the movie we built around this these feedback sounds
1: does it's interesting that you know you saw the script from earlier drafts and you were kind of seeing it as it was progressing does the idea of what the score should be progress in tandem does that change more so if you've kind of seen it at earlier stages of completion
2: yes because um i think green room was an example of oh wow this this idea with feedback kind of worked not not every single cue not every single moment of music but in general we we relied on these instruments quite a bit. There's plenty of movies that you read a screenplay, and or talk with the director at length about what the music c- could be and what it should be and what might work, and then it just doesn't. Um, and it's it's agreed, you know. There's an exploration process, and it's kind of often agreed upon that like, you know, in theory that idea worked, um, and on paper that theoretical approach to to choosing instruments or um or what they should sound like could work but really there's a i don't know what it is but there's something about the picture the movie itself the images want to naturally take something or not you know it's like it's sort of a rejection process and it's kind of very obvious like and i don't know what 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 is happening you know in that relationship between sound and and imagery um that works or it doesn't but you could to simplify it you could you could choose a a piano and a and a a cello and a guitar and say i think that's really going to work based on everything we've discussed based on the screenplay etc and there's something that that it sinks in and it feels natural in that world or it's just sort of rejected and it doesn't and then you find that a whole new through just more exploring you find a whole new group of sounds works much much better that's the goal at least and being able to identify that and know when it doesn't work.
1: It's interesting because at that point of the process it very much sounds like it's a relationship between yourselves as the composer and the film. Does that change at various points of the process does it ever become a relationship between you know the music and the audience? Do you start to look at it in a different way as it progresses?
2: I think there might be sort of two I don't want to I don't want to put everyone in a corner but two types of composers maybe or or two approaches and i think there's one that that's uh that like and i don't think one is right or wrong necessarily but there is a there's a thought that like we're hired to write this music for, for the movie and therefore like our you know let's whatever whatever compositions we come up with let's fit them against the picture and hope hope it works and some composers can do that and i think very simply that could be sort of a, a an older approach to film music that is very number one orchestral um traditionally orchestral maybe i think an approach where you know it's all about the tune it's about the melody and i think you, you see these you see these this old footage with john williams sitting with um with george lucas perhaps or steven spielberg and like he's coming up with these with these big john williams themes i've whether it's star wars or et perhaps just at the piano and there's not a picture there and they're coming up with beautiful melodies and and beautiful uh, you know accompaniments and he's such a master at that that he's able to fit that into the story into the picture and i think we've always approached it differently where um we can experiment all we want before we see the picture but really the the scoring starts when we're just when we're sitting in front of The movie and we're watching it and we've got a couple of instruments and we're just we try to sneak one in and then you try to layer another one and it's this sort of audition process to see what feels right and so I think for us it's it's more about really doing it in tandem with the picture until we get really familiar with what is going to fit in there and then sometimes we will of course turn the movie monitor off television monitor off and just focus on recording that piece of music but it's not until we've we're sure that um the sounds that we've that we've chosen and developed like really have been shaped to fit into the picture, at least as far as our ears and eyes see. And I think there's, there's some, you know, there's these, there's composers that have a recording software with templates built for speed where they'll pull up, you know, their, they've, they've designed their template that might have four violins and four violas and, and two cellos and percussion and blah, blah, blah. And we've just never done that, and it, it could, I think it can get things started quicker, but it also just creates the assumption that every movie requires four violins and four violas and two cellos, and that those group of sounds are going to work for for every project, and to us, they don't. We just start from scratch with something and go from there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's kind of limiting in the wrong way in the long term. Like in the short term, it maybe solves your problem, but long term, it's maybe not going to achieve as... Perfect results,
2: right? And I think, and it's not right or wrong. I think it's just maybe it's we work we work orchestrally to a certain extent. The most exciting scores for us, and and, and what we like to get involved in, are groups of sounds that are we haven't heard related before. So that could be forty percent traditional orchestral instruments. More than half of those, we would prefer if they're played or performed in an unusual way that we haven't heard in a in a jarring, perhaps tension sort of inducing kind of way. Um, The rest of the score could just be these these weird feedback sounds, things that we're creating sort of custom for that project. We love percussion, but we also love to make percussion sound like something it's not or find things that are traditionally not percussion instruments, uh, concrete and metal and uh, wood and, and use them in a percussive way. So there's no template for that.
1: Do you do that in green room? The kind of percussive sounds at the bottom of the score. Yeah, because um, they feel I'm like percussion, to, but there's something different about them, and I can't
2: work out what it is. Yes, I'm trying to remember. My brother developed a lot of those low end sounds that are that are um, often a layer of some sort of synthy sub bass. Let's, let's call them a boom, you know, for for lack of a better word. But he's probably layered another sound or sample of some sort that has more attack that reads as like a drum. The interesting thing is that. Jeremy Saunier, the director, we give him endless amounts of credit for just being such a detailed filmmaker. And that that comes down to everything from sound design to score and, of course, performances and dialogue. He knows exactly what he wants from the score. He knows exactly how the score should function, when it enters, when it exits. He's he's open to us trying things, but he, he ultimately knows when it's working or, or when it's not, and he helps get us there. He doesn't have, like, like so many directors, very few of them have this have a very musical vocabulary music itself is hard enough for anyone to talk about and so he knows how to get us there but he early on this has changed a little bit as his projects and movies have changed but he had a no drum rule a no percussion (laughs) rule um which we thought was very stifling at first it's like well how do you you know he he needs us to build momentum and momentum and there has to be a faster pace to this whole scene How, how do you do that without percussion and it was frustrating at first but then you know we're building these sounds that are that are softer or more uh more muted or more um are they electronic or are they organic it's, we're trying to blur those lines a little bit and just find ways to get those we call them pulses they're just pulses that push things along try to get things moving without them reading as as drums or percussion he feels like percussion or drums in, in the traditional sense could maybe date a film or uh, have the listener um have those sounds take them somewhere else that that he's not intending them to go so um his most recent project hold the dark he lifted the rule of no drums and percussion and he let us he let us do a lot of drums which was fun
1: well that's interesting though because how did the so the two previous films obviously don't have any drums how did that inform the way that you use percussion on that film
2: on hold the dark
1: yeah how did the previous two collaborations with him where there weren't any inform or i
2: think you worked with him on murder party as well right on well, murder party yeah yeah. It's yeah. Three. yeah sorry and i think he and us sort of view murder party as this it was it was quite a few years prior and um definitely his first movie i think he likes to think blue ruin was his first movie in some ways <laughs> but there was much fewer rules on murder party I, I think he he was just he was just elated to get the movie done until and, and that week we could somehow figure out how to write a score and get it done Um, But for Hold the Dark, we were able to do more drums and percussion because he's finally telling a bigger story that is visually much bigger. So this is kind of, again, where, like, where does the images that you're seeing and therefore where does the story, like, where does it, what does it allow us to do and what does it confine us to do? And if you think about Blue Ruin, for example, um, I don't know, 80% of it, you're seeing just this one guy, this one man. It's, it's you know, the bad guys are a handful of people. The locations are within Virginia, like a couple t- towns of Virginia. So the stakes are, are relatively big. This guy, there's a revenge aspect, but you know, small story, small cast, small location, contained and small. So like the score had to, had to be such. Green Room was so confined. We're stuck inside this place. There's not this big open, vast um, spaces to explore. They're not. There's not big journeys traveling from A to B and stuff. So the score had to remain fairly contained and claustrophobic and under pressure the whole time, but never sort of developing into some big cinematic moment, although there's, of course, cinematic moments, but it never got huge because the the, the story didn't. Hold the Dark is much more of a, a lot of it is outside. These huge snowy mountain scapes visually allow just so much more sound, um, you know, the, so many more wide shots and... Different characters, sort of intertwining in different ways, and a larger a larger tale to tell. So, we could fit in vocalists. There was um like throat singers uh, from from Canada that we worked with that uh, that provided this this human uh, vocal sound. And then I, I believe we were working with a lot of teko drums, uh, like just big, low end, warm, natural drums that we played. There, you, typically you see them played very. Aggressively and loud with with harder wooden sticks, and we were doing softer, sort of softer muted mallet kind of performances. And coyote bones—I never thought I'd say that, but we literally got a coyote. We you can get anything you're looking for on the internet. By the way,
0: say
1: where do you get coyote bones?
2: (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say you get anything. We were looking for wolf bones. We wanted a wolf skeleton. And again, the idea that there's a shaker of some sort—you know, a shaker could be. They're often synthetic materials or whatever, but rice inside of a a gourd or something is a very traditional shaker sound. So we wanted a shaker sound that was not quite what we heard before, maybe a little more off kilter. And the movie centers around wolves and features a lot of wolves. And some of the story um, you're made to think that uh, wolves may be responsible for the disappearance of this kid. Anyway, it was kind of a, it was like a, Wouldn't it be funny if we could do this? And then we actually did. (laughs) However, it is very hard to find a wolf skeleton, but you can find a full coyote skeleton on eBay, which is a smaller, smaller than a wolf skeleton. Put it in a mesh sack and you shake it around and there's much smaller toe bones and larger rib bones. And so they cling together in an unusual way. The best part of that story is that I, I entered the address incorrectly when I ordered the coyote skeleton <laughs> from eBay. And it was uh, it went to a little bar, like a dive bar on the other side of town, because I, I, I was off by ten blocks. Oh. And I went I went to this neighborhood I probably otherwise wouldn't <laughs> go to. And it was a bar, and they were open in the afternoon, and I walked in. And she offered me a drink. I said, "No, I'm looking for a package that has been delivered here." And she said, "What's what's in the package?" <laughs> and I said, "You know what? Never. I don't think it's here. Never mind." Anyway, it, it was rerouted, and I eventually was able to pick it up at the post office. But but yeah. Um, so that, that's just that's a silly example of um, you know even if it doesn't work, it's like let's let's look for something new that we haven't used before uh, and see if the picture takes it and see if it uh, if it functions like percussion in a you know, but in a way we've, we haven't heard.
1: Is that a similar thing to what you were doing with the drums? Like you were saying that normally those drums we've played quite heavily and you're playing them softly. Do you do that? Do you think what would be the natural route to take with this? And then let's look in the other direction and see what we can find.
2: Yeah, I hate to sound like a broken record. It's like the picture will tell us it, it, and it become, and maybe the more we've done it, the more experience we have, the more we realize this very quickly, literally the the velocity or the intensity of playing Something as simple as a drum, you can try version one with the picture. Listen back to the recording, and it'll, it will be very obvious to us. Like it's too much, we've hit the drum too hard, or we've hit the drum too hard too many times, or the inverse. Or like, oh no, this 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 scene can allow us to go very big, you know. But it's normally one or the other, and then you just adjust the performance, and and so there's a lot of, literally a lot of you know playing an instrument while watching what's on the picture and, uh, and, and trying to improvise with, with the performances we're seeing, kind of letting the picture tell us like if we're in the sweet spot or not with, with, in terms of performance. Does
1: your relationship to the picture change when it's a true story? Like it wasn't the Night Stalker?
2: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about Night Stalker, yes. uh, Night Stalker was our big, um, quarantine project, um, that we started exactly a year ago, I believe Middle of March 2020, our, our main studio is in this great big building uh, on the other in South Philly, and um, we're normally kind of quarantined back in here by ourselves. So it feels it felt very safe, and um, we were following the rules. So I, so my brother was working from home a lot. He has a, a home studio, but I was still coming to the studio until early April, and then we. I realized that the building was just so empty and so. And so quiet and so lifeless that it was it was kind of like not not as inspiring as it normally is to work in so i took i took the the main computer and some instruments and i took them home to the basement of my house which is not was not set up to be a recording studio but i had to quickly do that the cool thing was that again as far as percussion goes i have i have a tool workbench and tools set up in the basement. um, And I did not have access to all of the normal drums and percussion that we normally do learning about the night stalker and the different, and all of the different details of the cases and how he um, almost improvised his weaponry was totally disturbing and sick. And, and, you know, he didn't just have this, you know, Jack the Ripper with one, with, with one method. He used anything he could find. he used stuff he he often had a twenty two or knives, but he would use random tools, hammers, and things um, so that became a lot of my percussion sounds in the basement were literally uh, hammers on the concrete basement floor, saws cutting through wood or trying to cut through metal to create rhythms and and sounds that just are a little more um perhaps unusual and, and I don't want to say industrial but um not the typical drum and such and you know and then working with the with the majority of that that was the first project that was very collaborative we had to include a bunch of other musicians cello viola string a lot of strings um probably six other musicians who would would normally come by the studio to record with us we quick by mid April Um, we quickly realized that they have we have to do something different so we bought a few extra microphones we sent them microphones they were able to record figure out how to record their parts from home and we would recompile and remix everything to sound like a string ensemble is playing together in the same room so long way of answering your question i think it was it, it was a much more isolated process and i think the nature of the story was creepier and scarier because it was real like you said doing it all by yourself in the basement or with other people but physically alone in the basement yeah it made it more uncomfortable my wife was working from home as well and I would have headphones on and she, in order to come down to the basement she had to flash the lights a few times so that to warn me that she's coming down otherwise if I don't hear her sneak into the basement she would cr- sneak up behind me and completely terrify me uh, <laughs> so, so we had to create systems that, and yeah, the home invasion aspect of that story at night—the way he just entered people's windows that happened to leave their window open—yes, when we're done working and the project's done for the day, that stuck with me a little bit. And we would—I I made a point to lock the doors, made sure the windows were shut. Yeah, a few extra times each night before bed, but. Is that still the case? Um, no, loosened up on that a little, <laughs> little bit um, now. Now that in episode four he was captured, of course. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's kind of an intense example of of how some stories, yeah, stick with you if if you're sticking yeah. with it for for uh, and that and that with that story that was at least four months for, for us, three or four months of work. So when you're sticking with, with the character who happens to be real life and a story for that long, sure, it like probably not in the same way that it does for an actor who really has to embody another person. But yes, it does sort of spill into your mood or your um, you know, psyche a little bit for the rest of the day.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny you bring up acting because it is kind of a, a similar thing, I guess, to a certain degree with what you were saying there about how you thought about the way that he would improvise with his tools but that's a horrible way I don't know how you would put it his weapons I suppose and then you kind of paralleled that in the choices for the percussion and the instrumentation how do you decompress after that because I imagine there's something slightly disturbing about even getting that close to that headspace
2: yeah I think with every project there's also with something like that that had so much music the music was very heavily layered I mean at times it was minimal but at other times it was just very you know a lot going on with some of that there's a lot of you know, busy work, for lack of a better word, that is not so emotionally investing, maybe. And then, so to bounce around to that, those sorts of tasks throughout the project is a good way to, um, you know, example, for example, there might be a day of just creating these percussion sounds, capturing, recording these percussion sounds. And there's not so much, um, we're building, you know, sort of a sample bank and a big bank of sounds, rather it's like sort of, let's get as much as we can in one day and then start to see what works with the picture so on days like that we're not as emotionally invested i guess with the with the grim details of the story and then there was a few aspects of the story that were uplifting and and even triumphant you know without spoiling anything from later in this in the series but um allow us to write in a major key or like uh, something more melodic and 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 not so uh scary something uh, more heartfelt in some ways so to be able to s- stop with the scary music for a moment and switch into something um lighter for lack of a better word i think helps keep the whole the overall process varied for us
1: yeah there is kind of a john carpenter thing going on there as well with some of that score it's kind of got that halloween edge to it with the melody like it's bright but it's also creepy at the same time
2: yeah the um the, the cool thing about Nightstalker was the again tiller tiller russell was an amazing director who Really knew what he wanted, um, knew how the score should function, but let us kind of find our way there. And his collaborator and editor, Chris Waldorf, is, a, is a, was the film editor, who we typically work fairly close with, both the director and the editor. I mean, the editor will be sending us the new version of the movie um, and any changes that's made to the movie, any technical notes we might need. We're working closely with the with the editor. We're working creatively with the director. But in this case, Chris, the editor, is a fantastic musician himself. So he sort of became this um, third collaborator with with my brother and I to sort of, yeah, help shape the sounds and the overall shape of the score. And, and he ultimately, he spent perhaps, I'm going to guess, six, seven, eight months or more just sifting through footage and just piecing the story together with the director and the producers. So... Every single detail of every single case, every murder, every sequence that they're stitching together, he was intimately aware of the story. He was very aware of the things they chose to leave in and the things they chose to leave out. so if we had any sort of question about you know uh, what what's appropriate with the music or what what how how should the music function he he knew right where we were in the story and helped uh, help sort of get us there
1: yeah, it just opens up the communication process a little bit more
2: yeah. It's tricky to talk about music. My brother and I have grown up playing, learning our instruments together uh, since we were little kids. But even to this day, if he says, you know, play something slow and dark, you know, it's not maybe it's not slow and dark enough for him. (laughs) Um, It's all of these various levels of, of, uh, you know, detail that are impossible to put into words sometimes. So you either have to yeah, use references or use just use music to kind of try to get the shape the idea together, I think.
1: It's interesting you touch upon the fact as well that you grew up you know, learning instruments together and then playing in bands together. When you first started composing and writing for film and television, was it a different kind of creative freedom to be writing for other people's creative projects in that way?
2: Absolutely. That's a great question also. And we get it often, or, or the question we get often from uh, musicians curious about the process or curious about the career path and how, how, how does one transition from songwriter, performing in a band, etc., uh, touring, recording uh, their own music, you know, um, how, how does one transition into film composing? And then they ask, you know, the question we get often is, well, do you get the final say? Do you get the final word in, in, in music? Or, And they know the answer. It's like, no, the, the director does. And oftentimes maybe even a, a producer does or a combination of people who have hired you get the final say. So there's a series of revisions and always around rounds and rounds of notes to get it closer to what they think it should be. And and the best collaborations, and I think the best scores and the best, therefore the best movies and the best scores function probably when there is a very healthy communicative push and pull with that process and that the composers are invited and encouraged to, to, to bring what they think should work, um, that best utilizes their voice and still sort of the music functions emotionally in the way the director intends it to um so when we're asked that question oh so you don't you know you're signing over your sort of creative freedom and and someone else tells you you know when it's right or or or, uh what needs to change about it it seems so creatively stifling and we found it to be completely the opposite yes there's a process where something that we've written goes through a round of revisions and it becomes something different. That can be frustrating. Oftentimes it does make it better. It does make it work for the movie better in a way that we didn't initially intend to, to, to do so for every new project. We're just asked to imagine, you know, some wacky weird world of music that we've never done before. And I think the, the experience of being in a band can actually be much more limiting i mean you think like yeah there's no one here to tell us especially if you're unsigned perhaps i don't know there's no one here to tell us what to sound like or what to do this small group of four or five friends and collaborators can can shape whatever they dream of you know but really they're put they're all putting certain limits on themselves just by the fact that they named their band they perform in a certain genre you know and it's the best bands that start to keep challenging that and breaking out of that throughout their career but like you know right when you say you're a rock and roll band you're expecting of yourself and your collaborator collaborators to sort of contribute something within that world Um, if you develop a fan base they're expecting you to sort of be consistent to a certain point in in that world and that you don't just get to switch to you know it's rare you see a rock and roll band just become a um, you know small orchestral chamber ensemble of of avant-garde instrumental music. And you don't see that ensemble become, you know, a hip hop group necessarily. Whereas every movie, we can literally be asked to do something entirely different, you know, do something dark and, and intense and synthy and sound designing, like we've done like for green room. And then I think a few movies later was, was small crimes, which was this dark, but very funny, um, dark comedy crime comedy which had saxophones and very jazzy elements and lots of drum sets and there was and uh and electric guitars and you know all all over the place um so we have never been more sort of exploratory with music than, than we have in the past i don't know seven years of doing film film music you're sort of forced to especially if you're open to different stories working with different people and not just doing the same type of project over and over. I think you're forced to um, completely lose any sort of labels that you might have as far as what, what you think you should sound like. You sort of have to, again, let the picture tell you what it needs. Let the director tell you what, what it needs. Do people
1: understand that when you explain it to them? Like you're saying, you know, people will ask you if you get full creative freedom. Can they get
2: on board with the idea that you've just outlaid there? If you say this, I don't know. Them? yeah it feels like a pitch you gotta you gotta make to a, a young musician who's like you know there is nothing more uh empowering maybe than don't get me wrong i think i miss being in a band i miss performing you know stuff you've poured your heart into with your with your closest friends closest collaborators i miss performing that on stage i miss just the um immediacy of writing whenever you want not writing when you don't want not playing something when you don't want i mean we are this is it's more of a job where if it's monday morning and and you're not inspired you have to um like i said maybe you start doing some of those more everyday sort of production tasks and and something less emotionally investing so i do miss it and i think there's there's something about being in a band that um yeah is awesome and exciting so you're trying to talk talk a young a young songwriter out of out of that and into a more much more sort of a work for hire environment but so it feels like it does require some convincing we did a little teaching last year at the at the local university for juniors and seniors who were all on we just taught a sort of a basic introduction to film scoring and all and all of the students were in a music production or music business track so they were all not necessarily looking to be a film composer, but they had you know writing experience and recording experience and engineering experience um, to a certain extent. So it was very cool to be able to uh, untangle what we've been working on for the past few years and and explain it in a way that um, our younger selves could understand. I mean, the height one one of one of the projects we did, we did the most touring and the most recording and stuff was a was when we were in college when we were college aged. So. If you try to convince me to stop doing that at that age and and try to try to become disciplined enough to be a film composer, I would not not have been interested at all.
1: Did you have conversations with the students you taught there?
2: Yeah, a few of them have continued to work with us a little bit. A few of them worked with us on Night Stalker. Yeah, it's, some some were very interested in pursue, further pursuing different, you know, film composing or aspects of where uh, like music supervising and stuff, where like, putting a soundtrack together or where. Just where music and movies meet, they were interested in pursuing those options as as a career path. So a few of them have, for Night Stalker specifically, helped us. We had them submit sounds to us, like a lot of these percussive sounds I mentioned, just like not necessarily uh, full fully developed musical ideas, but just banks of sounds that we could we would layer with the with the the hammer sounds I mentioned or something like that. So we just had you know folders and folders and folders of different sounds. Um, five ten percent of them came from some students who we worked with on it just to give them experience and it was it was yeah it was also very helpful for us even if we didn't pull every single sound and utilize every single sound the schedule for that show was very intense the sort of expectations of like we need this much music on this date felt very intense doable there was a psychological benefit knowing that we had a small group of talented helpers like we were we weren't out there all by ourselves just like scrambling to get it done on time
1: how did the conversations that you shared with them during that process or out with it differ to ones that you might have had with experienced musicians or composers i kind of wonder if their naivety takes it down an alternative route that maybe th- makes you think differently about things in a way
2: uh, we approached the course it was a it was a 10 or 12 week course which but like a couple hours, two or three hours per, per week or something. So it was a lot of time together. But we approached it in a way that we would have wanted to hear, like I said, at uh, when we were 20 years old, playing in a band, trying to get a college degree, probably spending more time with the band than the college degree, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> worried about what our job was going to be or how to make it make enough money at that time in some ways. Just being sort of very creative while being very authentic is, is was what was uh, the goal kind of um, at the time so we we, we spoke to them we, we kind of tried to ground everything very down to earth and in a way that hey you guys can do this like this isn't a you know times have changed completely with media and the way media is shared and the way collaborations take place especially on these big big media heavy intensive projects like making a movie, you do not have to be in Los Angeles. Is it helpful in some ways? Sure. Is there an advantage to not being in there? Absolutely. That's a different conversation Rob. we can get into, I think, being in a, a non-major film market uh, where you, we do the bulk of our work has advantages for us. We shared it with the with the students in the way that you can keep doing your own personal projects, and you should. This is a way to get more experience working with visual media. This is a way to, to do more collaborative projects with directors, producers. This is definitely a way to make more money, if that's what you want. This could be a full-time pursuit if you were just... If you you don't want to tour and you don't want to perform and this is something you can do full time, this is something that you could do part time. I mean, like one of some of the biggest ones right now, Trent Reznor still still has his Nine Inch Nails career as far as as far as I know. I mean, I I think so. I know he's very busy um, film composing. Lines
1: are kind of getting blowed a little bit now, though. Sure. If you look at the recent Nine Inch Nails stuff and compare it to his composing work, they're kind of moving a little bit. Closer. closer together than this won't more
2: I'll have to do that um, we hear a lot of his film composing work and I love I love what I've heard from Nine Inch Nails but I, I, but I haven't compared recently I'll, I'll jump into that he's great as, as not ever sort of fitting into the typical uh, template of what a film composer or professional musician should sound like look like should do you know he's always just sort of carved out his own his own path. I think that's what we we're trying to share with the students that, um, uh, that this is doable. You could start doing this now. And again, by the end of the semester, we said, we're starting this Netflix show and we need some help. So like, we'll get you guys credits and we'll get you experience ASAP. Like we, like, uh, you know, start, let's start working together. Um, it would have been really cool to hear something like that as, as a, uh, as a 20 year old musician. Um, you know, we did Murder Party, but I think as as we finished Blue Ruin, which felt like, you know, like our first film score, the film was getting noticed, the um, the score was getting a little int- attention, but it was mainly just the the excitement about the movie was was exciting for us to to envision ourselves doing more of it, and and my brother um, at the time said, you know, I wish we, uh, man, I wish we got into it earlier. I wish we started pursuing this more seriously earlier but we had just been in bands and just been playing in bands and trying to really keep pushing that forward and touring more into our 30s I thought about it. I said well I don't want to feel like you know we're, we're, we're so late to the film composed game I said I think I think we're getting in, into it at the right time because it really requires that experience I think of, of I don't think it requires it but it's very helpful to have that experience of being in a band to, to apply it to film composing because it's such a they're different but it's such a collaborative world and you need that sort of uh, I don't know emotional experience. Mature. Exactly. It, that's what it is and it could be it could be maturity in the way that we use the word or artistic maturity, you know. We get sent notes and they're tough to read sometimes (laughs) and you put, you know, you spend, you spend, you spend a week on a piece of music that um, you've wrestled with and you know, you're sending the director who you don't know that well, you're sending them version three or four because the first couple of versions that you're just not willing to share, you stumble across an idea that you're in love with and it's amazing. And you get this note that says like, I don't know why it's just not working for me. And the first few times you get that, it's like heartbreaking. And I don't, I don't think my, um, like i said my i don't know if my 20, 20 year old self was would be capable of, of taking that sort of rejection um <laughs> but also like we told the students you know uh, uh, they would ask well what can we be doing what can we be doing to to move this along quicker or to you know to, to like start to get jobs and start to work on movies and stuff and we would go over different sort of professional approaches like uh how to look for projects that you could that you could be a good fit for like I don't know networking things like that but i said in lieu of that like when you don't have a job yet there's still plenty of work to be done musically and emotionally and i mean you have to have a certain you have to have some experiences uh and, and know how they feel and therefore what they might sound like in real life if you're going to be composing for those moments On screen and making them sound real and authentic. For example, if there's a breakup scene in a movie and the main character's heart is getting completely destroyed and broken, you have to have gone through that to a certain extent to to, to maybe to have a, a bag of musical ideas to pull from to see what might work or just to really think what that might feel like
1: or also just be derivative because you'll be tapping into something that you've seen in a film before right You'd be you would won't actually be able to tap into your personality or your experience you just have to reach into something that's already there
2: yeah yeah i mean we went as far i think we were joking around like you know if you're doing a crime movie like i'm not i'm not suggesting everyone goes to start committing crimes <laughs> but like in lieu of having a job to work on work on all the like analyze all the everyday emotional experiences that you are having brainstorm what those might sound like with music and we had an exercise that we did when we were starting out but we didn't have a ton of work and we were we didn't have much to do for a month and we um my brother and I gave ourselves the challenge of we called a cue a day so write a cue which is a short piece of of music one every day based on An emotional experience of that day so you could imagine we had 30 cues that were very boring but it was still just the exercise of analyzing something we went through that day so like the most in that month we went to a funeral and so there was we both wrote our yeah we had 60 cues we were each writing something per day but of course the heaviest the darkest and the most uh, emotionally sort of weighty uh cue of that exercise was the funeral and we just called it the funeral and i think mine featured an organ like you might hear at a funeral it's like no big surprise but it was just it was just taking whatever emotion you're going through quickly translating it into a musical idea um without thinking too much about it it was a big exercise in improvisation i mean we had other pieces of music called traffic jam you're stuck in traffic like what does that sound like it's it's the most boring place you can be and it's frustrating but it's tolerable what does that sound like musically and so we you know uh we encourage the kids to just work on stuff like that
1: does it make you did doing that make you more like observant and perceptive of your everyday emotions and experiences
2: i think it had to did you kind of start to frame them in a different way yeah sure i think it had to at least especially for that month where we were we were i remember we were holding each other accountable like uh you know did you do your homework today that's sort of, <laughs> that sort of sort of thing and i think uh yeah, it it got it got to the point where, you know, if if you weren't if there wasn't something you observed meaningful throughout the day to write music about, you had to then like in order to get your chore done, we had to you have to stop and force yourself to sort of replay some of the day and say what was there anything that happened today that was significant enough to 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 warrant a piece of music and there often wasn't, but you just have to you have to find something like I said. So there was traffic jam, there was cooking breakfast was. Was one of them? I mean, cooking eggs is like also so mundane. But they're—I don't know. There's a rhythm to it. There's a timing to it. There's a um, a messiness to it. <laughs> like how it—yeah. How do these elements? I mean, that's that's what. You, and that's the sort of language you'll start to speak with a director. Which is those first few emails or conversations. They can say, "I want a cello, and I want a piano, and I want a, a choir, and and stuff." But it doesn't really take shape until you start trying things, and then the the most efficient vocabulary to share is uh, just des- descriptors. Again, like it needs to be messier, it needs to be um, murkier, you know. And it's like these adjectives or descriptors that are, are normally not used to describe something like music; they're des- they describe people or situations. Um, those are what becomes much more helpful than sort of getting to what, what a scene actually needs musically.
1: It's interesting that we're kind of speaking there about what that exercise did for you in terms of the way you connected to the everyday. How has composing music for film impacted the way that you emotionally connect and kind of react to films when you're watching them as a viewer?
2: I'll be honest. I've probably never see a movie the same way again as we did before we scored our first movie. Our first movie, and the more we do, the the more we might look at it differently. We have, you know, such more of an intimate awareness of all of the people, all of the hard work that goes into it, all of the different departments working together and separately, all equally as important we have such a, a, a new found sort of appreciation for sound design and what it does and especially when it's done right um, and it often is because you you don't he- you you rarely hear like oh i love that movie so much but the sound design just stunk it just that's where they f- fell short you don't hear that you it's it's a craft that you probably wouldn't the, the, see the movie in the same way if, if it wasn't done thoroughly and tastefully um, so we don't go into movies like very critically, like, let me see, you know, let me pull something out of it that we don't like. It's quite the opposite. Um, if performances are meaningful and if it seems like there's a, the right intention and and the right casting choices and, um, you know, some interesting things along the way, we, we, we find something about movies that we really love. Um, but we do, we can't help but sort of peek behind the curtain a little bit because we know what goes into it and we love it when we're surprised we love it when there's like there's a, a composer we haven't heard of and there's a score you know how did they do that like what sound is that i can't i can't figure out what i'm hearing but it's really working and that's you know that happens often i think film music is just there's so many new voices there's so many uh younger voices um and new collaborations that i think we're hearing stuff that you know we, we've never heard before, which is always really exciting, especially to discover new composers.
1: It's interesting because when you started off, you know, talking there about the way that you kind of pick it apart a little bit more, the assumption would be that that creates kind of an air of emotional detachment, but it sounds more like you're just emotionally connected to it in a different way. There's more respect and admiration involved in terms of the craft.
2: Sure. That's very fair. And then I think there's the special movies that like blow you away where you are, that we're, we, we do get... totally capable of getting lost in a great movie and not trying to consider every decision along the way or, or, or not trying to like, you know, analyze what was done technically. And that's tons of fun. And I think that's, you know, that's um, that won't change, but there's some movies that we see for, for, you know, research purposes or whatever, just see who's doing what. And, you know, people that we've worked with go on to work on something else. It's always great to see what they're working on, but we always approach them like knowing what has gone into it and and therefore keep a very open mind and try not to let any you know film reviews or film critics kind of like influence what we may be getting ready for
1: when was the last time you kind of had that experience where you completely got lost in a movie like that like what you're saying there this will come
2: to me if it doesn't come to me immediately alex it will come to me and i will blurt something out at you uh, (laughs) out of nowhere um (laughs) I mean, there hasn't been a theatrical experience in in more than a year. I'm trying to think what our last theatrical movie was. Um,
1: you see The Invisible mom when it came out.
2: I did not. My brother did, and he loved it. My last theatrical experience was Uncut Gems.
1: That's a good theatrical experience.
2: Yes, that was the last one, probably a little over a year now. And that's an example of just getting really caught up in in a, in a well-told, well-edited story that is grounded in performances that are just like undeniable. And I think Adam Sandler was great in it, but also it was these non-actors or unknown actors. I, I know they cast, you know, just real life folks from the, from the jewelry district in, in New York city to, to play jewelers. And if you can get someone who's able to to just pull off what they normally do in real life, get them to do that on camera, I think it's, it's some of the most convincing acting ever so i think that that was such a strong part of that movie i think now that i think about it i think that's an aspect of especially especially some independent filmmaking that i think i've always really liked is seeing non-actors uh the right person just sort of step into one of their first acting roles and do it in a way that's more authentic than than some some well-trained actors i think the florida project great film great film that um the young woman in that and, and I apologize, I forget her name. but You um, he
1: found her on Instagram, I think, didn't
2: you? Exactly. Found her on Instagram. I think those sorts of casting decisions are so bold and <laughs> effective. And I think, yeah, I think you, you don't hear many of those going horribly wrong.
1: I think now, though, because like well, what works in there, he found her on Instagram. There's a level of comfort there with a camera in front of you, especially in a film like that where it's being shot quite, lo-fi i think a lot of that was done with natural light as well wasn't it
2: that sounds that sounds right yes yeah that's another, another example of a great movie just sort of getting getting lost in it
1: can you ever get anywhere close to that in composing a way to kind of achieve that rawness and that kind of realism that's so hard to get to in in cinema
2: i think we're in trouble if we don't have it you know at least partially on every every movie we did i think if 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 a project is completely void of that for ourselves, we, someone, someone picked us for the wrong reason, or we, we ag- agreed to do it for the wrong reason, but in a perfect world, every single piece of music we write for a movie. Yeah. We would love to get, you know, lost and and, uh, and pour everything directly into it. What's more realistic is, um, is I hate to use the word compromise. It's not, cause it's not that, cause that sounds like you're sort of missing out on something, but Each cue is going to fall on a spectrum, and hope that the big ones and the ones, maybe the finale of the movie or the very first piece of music you hear in the movie, or some very key pivotal scenes of the movie, you know, you hope that those are the ones that um, you can't argue with, and you can get up and defend, and the director loves it as much as you do, and that, you know, you get it's goosebumps. That's what you go for on everyone, right? Because that means it's it's you, you feel them when you first get that first melodic idea in your head and as soon as it comes out of your fingers on an instrument or you hear someone play it, you know, it's right. And then you hope that the director and therefore the audience has the same reaction. And if you can, if you can achieve that for the majority of a score, I think it will be very effective. I think there is a um, acceptance that there are not less important, but just su- supportive cues, shorter cues. Uh, there's not enough time to develop a, a, a very emo- emotionally heavy musical idea there's not a there's not a need to develop such a uh, emotionally intense idea it just needs to be a little supportive Um, I think the word drone gets a bad rap but sometimes it does just need to be like a a a drone with a chord and a note and a hit and that's it and you're in and out and you can't be expected to have that make people cry all the time you know
1: there's a lot of resonance and simplicity though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then if you can zoom out and look at the whole score and the whole movie as a, as a whole, you know, you can't have every piece of music just be, you know, over the top or fully developed or fully, uh, melodic or, 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 or orchestrated, you know, um, some of them have to be incomplete, um, If you look at a movie in a three act structure, I mean, the first act is really just setting up the world, setting up, making the world we're in believable, making the characters we're getting to know likable and then presenting a conflict of some sort. And the conflict just sets you up on the journey. So that first act uh, just needs to be almost like we were discussing with the with the exercise we did for a month. It just needs to be almost um, an everyday, you know everyday sounds, everyday melodies, and, and they can be mundane. And so they need, they need to function like that sometimes to be effective.
1: Is that another example of how maturity helps you? Like when you were younger, would you have been able to realize that, that not every moment has to be an incredible piece?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I was having a conversation just the other day with a, with a, with a fantastic musician who's also done teaching and has done some scoring and wants to transition further into scoring. He said he was very interested in, uh, or his sort of, his strength were these big cinematic big cinematic orchestral triumphant moments or you know compositions I said that's great that's a and that's that can be hard to do and those are the some of the most memorable moments of films and film music when there's a when there's like a oh my gosh they finally pulled it off when there's a celebration when there's a triumph when there's victory or whatever uncertainty leads to that and then there's a uh there's a climax and there's a resolution of some sort. But that doesn't happen throughout an entire movie that ha- that happens maybe once. <laughs> and I'm looking I, I just want to look at use examples to look at sort of just a traditional movie uh, structure of um, and not all all movies fit this by any means. But leading up to that and following that, there's plenty of moments where the music just has to like slowly get you there, gradually get you there. And they just need to be little stepping stones. And so, like I said, not complete thoughts, not complete pieces of music. Uh, to answer your question, does sort of maturity allow us to sort of see those more? Yes. And and I think some of the mistakes and th- some of the things we learned starting scoring films early was, yeah, that we tried to make every moment too musical. Every moment needed to feel, feel like film music. And it doesn't. It's just art that idea of film music that we all share is like the very memorable pieces of film music but for every one of those those big themes that that you hum and you get stuck in your head and you leave the movie theater thinking of that music musical moment for every one of those there's a dozen little like i said stepping stones to get get you to those and they're not memorable and they shouldn't they shouldn't be